So, Kyle. Yeah, Tyler. What did one email say to the other email campaign at the party when they were getting ready to leave? What did one email say to the other email campaign at the party when they were getting ready to leave? I have no clue. Let's make like a bad campaign and bounce. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that would be a bad campaign. <laughs> Welcome to the Lionshare Podcast, for marketing leaders, by marketing leaders, brought to you by Fidelitas Development. All right, everyone, welcome to episode 15 of the Lionshare Marketing Podcast. I am your co-host, Tyler Sickmeyer. Alongside me, virtually, is Kyle. What time is it? It's Cuddle O'Clock. Weber. Kyle, great to have you back on the Lionshare Marketing Podcast with me. Oh, thanks, Tyler. Always good to be with you and with your jokes. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you too, Kyle. And that said, Kyle. What's in the news? News team, assemble! Yeah, Tyler, today we have an article from AdAge entitled, Facebook Gets Brands Ready for Six-Second Video Ads. Sheryl Sandberg, the chief operating officer for Facebook, recently stated that Facebook is working with some of its advertisers to develop video ads as short as six seconds. That's a really quick ad. I mean, quicker than you would think, in fact. So Facebook tested ads from Tropicana at different lengths, and they found that the six-second ad emerged as the most ideal length of time. Sandberg went on to say that the results at six seconds showed that there was higher brand metrics across the board. So Tyler, just out of curiosity, why do you think there's such a bump in the metrics across the board for six-second ads versus the standard ad lengths? Uh, I'm sorry, Kyle. I tuned out after the first six seconds of that lead-in. I see what you did there. So, you know, in all seriousness, Kyle, uh, there is something to be said for holding our audience's attention. And in a world of shorter and shorter attention spans, I think it's certainly easier to hold the attention for, of someone for six seconds than uh, for, say, 30 seconds or a minute, especially because by that time, you know, six to 10 seconds in, you realize I'm watching an ad. I'm either interested or not interested in the product. And I've already moved on to the next thing, whether that's Twitter on my phone, if I'm watching TV or whether I've clicked the skip button on YouTube or whatever that may be. So really, while the six second ad in its entirety is a somewhat new concept to channels like Facebook, and I saw that Fox is going to test this as well. You know, it's really been around with YouTube for some time because you only have a set number of seconds to impress people before they have the skip ad button pop up. Right. Yeah. And actually, last year, Google went on a YouTube, they introduced what they call bumper ads, which are six second video ads. And here's how they define it. A bumper ad is a six second video format ideal for driving brand reach and frequency. So they come right out and say that it's for brand reach and frequency. And they go on to say that many large brands are using bumper ads to drive upper funnel goals like ad recall and awareness. Bumper ads are a cost effective way to reach your target audience, ensure your message is seen and heard and keep you top of mind. And while bumper ads are short on time, they're long on impact. We tested over 300 bumper campaigns this year and found that nine out of 10 drove a significant lift in ad recall. So Tyler, what do you think the future is for the 15 and 30 second ads? And do you think bumper ads will replace them? Honestly, Kyle, I think they'll still have their place. I think there's always a place for great creative. That's why ads longer than 60 seconds still work. I mean, it's not uncommon to see a big brand like Budweiser uh, spend extravagant amounts of money on the Super Bowl and run a two-minute spot. I think you can see 
long form commercials work. And I think 15 and 30 second commercials will have their place. But I think there's more pressure than ever on marketing leaders, both in-house and in agency to produce great creative and to give compelling reasons for viewers to stay tuned. It's important to set up the story early and to make sure that you communicate your message clearly and solve a problem for the user to keep them engaged and to make sure that they understand what it is your brand's trying to get across. I, I think really the six second commercials are going to come more in handy more for the larger brands that have true branding budgets, you know, the Cokes and the Pepsis of the world, rather than the small local brick and mortar businesses. I'm not sure that they'll be able to use the six second ads as efficiently. I mean, just imagine trying to introduce a new product in six seconds or less. Right. Yeah. And I know that Old Spice has used bumper ads in the past, and I don't know how effective they would be without them being in conjunction with their already existing campaigns because they're just so fast. The thing I really love about the six second video ads is that it basically makes a brand focus on just one thing about their product or service. The constraints of creating a video at six seconds kind of forces a brand to simplify their message, which that might actually be the reason it's helping audiences with improved ad recall because they're, they're focusing on one thing. What do you think about that? No, I, I totally agree, Kyle. And I think at the end of the day, the bottom line is, is it's not how long the ad lasts. It's what the quality of the ad amounted to. Yeah, could not agree more. So Kyle, speaking of skippable ads and YouTube's TrueView feature, mm -hmm. uh, we have quite the guest today on the podcast. All right. So we have Josh Weam from Google joining us. And we got into all sorts of fun things about SEO and AdWords and pay-per-click campaigns and a lot of great content from Josh over at Google. And thank, thanks to Josh for coming on and hanging out yeah. with us. And and so we have a very meaty interview full of good content today that we want to share with you guys. And so without further ado, let's get to our interview with Josh Weam. All right, guys, I'm here with Josh Weam from Google. Uh, Josh, thanks for coming on the Lion Share Marketing Podcast today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks, Tyler. So Josh, tell us about your role at Google. So at Google right now, I am a digital ambassador for the AdWords product, which essentially means I speak at conferences and travel to different conventions and things, explaining the values of Google and uh, specifically online marketing, how it relates to small businesses and how you can grow your business uh, by using our platform and our products that we have. Okay, great. So Josh, I really want to get into one of the most common questions that we get as an agency that specializes in digital marketing over at Fidelitas. Uh, SEO versus pay-per-click advertising. Where should you start? What's the benefits of both? Should you be doing one before the other? Uh, what are your thoughts on that with prioritizing uh, search versus paid? Yeah, it depends on the situation. So generally speaking, um, if you're looking for, for example, phone calls right away, foot traffic right away, business today, PPC or SEM, as it's often called, is going to be very important for you because you're preventing the need to, to build up basically a profile online with your organic keywords and you're, you're getting traffic right now with paid ads that show up a lot higher on that search page. So what I like to say is when it comes to SEO versus SEM or PPC as it's often called, uh, think of SEO as a locomotive, right? So you're going to take a while to get up to speed with the locomotive. It's obviously going to be moving, but it takes time to get going to a, a real high rate of speed. In the meantime, while your locomotive is picking up speed, you're going to look to PPC to augment that traffic that you're looking for organically by paying for it early on. And what we do and what our Google partners do, 
like Fidelity test, is we make sure that there's ROI in that early phase where you're doing PPC because as a platform, AdWords works. It's market-driven. We don't dictate any of those bids or anything. The key is working with people who know how to use that platform. So I would tell you that if you're, if you're a company who's growing, SEO is going to be your long-term goal to make that uh, everyone wants free traffic. Organic efforts with some paid efforts. If it's done right, you can do very well early on as you're growing your SEO profile. That's great, Josh, and uh, thanks for diving into that a little bit. Another key thing that sometimes people forget about uh, when they start talking search versus paid is the behemoth that is YouTube. Uh, so when we start talking about video marketing and YouTube marketing, uh, what are your thoughts there, and what are some uh, best practices for brands that are looking to get involved with that? So I'm a huge proponent of YouTube for a number of reasons. One of the main ones is right now it's kind of like the wild west of YouTube, right? So our TV audience is shifting very quickly over to YouTube. And while that's happening quickly, the cost of YouTube has not come along with it. So right now you have a very low price point to get involved in YouTube, which is a very, very viable video platform. The other side of video is as consumers, we're seeing that people tend to watch videos more and more. We really are looking for businesses. And so as a brand, it's very difficult for me to find a reason why every brand shouldn't be doing something with YouTube whether that's you, know, you yourself being on camera, you hiring someone out that has an exciting personality or a great video team. And if you're a brand that isn't super well-known like most aren't, it's a great way for you to get branding and really get out there to the audience that you're seeking because the other side of YouTube is the targeting. At this point, we are able to target people of a certain age, gender, obviously locations, but now we can even target, if you're selling, for example, hiking boots, we can target people who are outdoor enthusiasts so that you're not running a, a video ad to the masses. You're actually targeting people who have a very high proclivity of buying your products. So when I talk about YouTube, I get very excited because I've seen so many brands do very, very well with YouTube uh, with the cost that is there as well as the opportunity you have to do something outside of the box and, and all of a sudden you're going viral and now everyone's talking about your brand. So uh, a great, great platform. Yeah, that's great, Josh, and you're exactly right. A lot of opportunity there for big brands and small brands alike. You know, I always remember the story of uh, Wrigley, and they said, you know, why are you spending, I believe they were spending 5% on advertising at a time when their competitors weren't spending anything. And the reason is, is because they wanted to keep their competitors from spending anything. They wanted to hold on to that market share. So for large and small advertisers alike, it's always important to be building that brand awareness and maintaining brand presence when possible. And YouTube's a great place to do that. Speaking of YouTube, obviously uh, a little bit of disheartening news for advertisers recently regarding some uh, questionable placements. Uh, obviously no one intended for it to happen, but it did. What steps is Google taking to help prevent that from happening again? And on the marketing side, what steps can marketing leaders take to help make sure that their videos reach the right audience? Yeah, so it was a pretty big story that YouTube got under fire a little bit in Europe for showing up. Someone's YouTube ads effectively showed up alongside an ISIS video, which is obviously a huge problem. So big PR storm happened after that. We do have a public statement about that. But what I can tell you from my position is that the company has taken it very seriously, and that's very clear with the online response that we've had. There was an issue with our targeting in that market, which again is outside of the US, but at the same time, it did still happen. Uh, what I can say is that we've been very diligent in preventing it from happening again. And at no time should you as an advertiser feel that your brand is gonna be subject to you know, sitting alongside an ISIS or something awful like that, because it's something that's just very anomalous and very, very unfortunate that it happened, but it was in that as a company, we've addressed very aggressively and exactly what our stance is, which is, there's no place for that and are very keen on, on making sure it does not happen again. 
Okay, great, Josh. And what steps can marketers take as far as targeting their videos more effectively in general, uh, outside of, of course, uh, wanting to avoid the ISIS videos? Yeah, nobody wants that. So I would say targeting uh, for search, for display, and for video continues to evolve. Now we're getting into affinity segments, which I mentioned earlier. You know, you've got your outdoor enthusiasts looking for kayak and camping equipment. You've also got things now called in-market audiences, which is people who have been looking for what you sell. So if I sell a particular type of kite, and I can actually market that to people who have been looking for kites and, and people who are kite owners and people who like to fly kites and things like that. So in-market audiences... And we're always getting even more granular with targeting. So now you can target specific YouTube channels. Um, if, you, if you sell makeup and you want to be showing up on, say, Michelle Pham's YouTube channel, in most cases, you're going to be allowed to do that. You're going to be able to target specific types of channels, which you feel may cater to the users that would also buy your product. So when it comes to targeting on YouTube, if you're working with the right people, you can actually target your videos so effectively that a, a huge percentage of the people watching it actually watch the whole thing continue on to visit your website, make a purchase of your products, etc. Targeting is a very important part of marketing in all aspects because you obviously don't want to throw up, uh, for example, a billboard. It was a very novel thing a long time ago, but today it's very hard to quantify what that billboard did for you on the bottom line. And that's not the case with things like YouTube. You're actually going to look at video parsing and determine at what point in your video did people leave and what can we do to modify that to increase viewership. So when it comes to targeting with video, it's at least as comprehensive as search, and in many cases, a lot more involved and a lot more specific. Okay, great, Josh. And going back to PPC for a minute, what are some of the biggest opportunities that you see for retailers and e-commerce brands there? Obviously, you know, we're recording this from out here at Outdoor Retailer in Salt Lake City. So again, for our listeners, pardon the uh, hotel lobby background noise as our friends continue to roll luggage racks through. But Josh, Outdoor Retailers specifically have a lot of uh, challenges with quantifying where they're putting their marketing dollars. We actually met with one brand this morning. Uh, their biggest pain point was trying to roadmap out the uh, next two to three years with where they're going to go. And it's like, yeah, we know we need AdWords and we're doing that, but they're having a hard time quantifying next steps. So in terms of opportunities, where should retailers and e-commerce brands really be focusing in the coming months and years? When it comes to e-commerce, Google Shopping is going to be your primary thing, right? Google Shopping is going to be where people are looking for a specific type of boot or, or equipment, and you can have that show up with the product number and all the details that go with it. With that, we're always doing things to evolve. So right now we've got you know, different types of ads happening on search where, where a lot of them are mobile focused. So for most companies, you're definitely going to want to have a mobile first mentality. And, and when it comes to you know, new strategies on search, for the outdoor industry specifically, I think uh, most of us know pretty well what virtual reality is and what, uh, what augmented reality and those things are. So brands are going to want to position themselves to, to do everything they can to appeal to that consumer, to be very modern when it comes to 360 tours and you know, a video of someone using a surfboard, things like that. It's very visceral. So as a brand, you have a product, you have an industry that by nature is also very visceral and very, um, you know, it's something that people can really identify with on, on a very personal and physical level. So expanding on that by featuring those brands in such an, a, a way that you can almost be there uh, to me, it's going to be a very, very big thing. And, and it's not just me. We have major uh, research on VR and virtual reality and, and a virtual tour of your facility. You know, taking an example hike with us, a lot of these virtual experiences are becoming a lot more prevalent. And as a brand, the best thing you can do is to procure content 
that caters to that need, that caters to the need for someone to, to really experience what you do from their home. Because a lot of products, you can't do that. You can't sell someone insurance or, or mortgage lending and show them a virtual experience that will be exciting for them. With outdoor products, with an industry that is inherently exciting and fun, there's so much we can do to play off of that by featuring those products in an arena that's virtual. We, we've learned recently that video is one of the main catalysts to, to driving interest in a brand. So people are watching more and more video than ever. If you're using YouTube for video, if you're using e-commerce and, and, and Google Shopping online, and you're doing things like click-to-call, uh, we have click-to-text now. So if someone searches for your particular type of hiking boots and needs to find somewhere in, in town to buy that, they can actually text your location and, and have a question answered or, or click right off of that search ad to find you. So I would say working with people that know search and how that works, you have what's called ad extensions, and these cost nothing extra. But it's your Google ad having things like call us today, here's directions to our facility, text us with a question. That kind of thing can, A, increase your digital real estate, which will push your competitors down that limited space you've got there, but B, give your consumers all these different channels with which to interact. You know, Come to our website, watch our YouTube channel, click on our ads, give us a call, come to our location. If you can give people all those options, you're going to have a, a tough time not growing a business with that kind of clout uh, digitally. Very well said, Josh. And what about B2B brands? Are there any key trends that you're seeing there for B2B brands that they can capitalize on? Yeah, the neat thing about B2B is uh, historically people just assume that B2B buying is done in this sequestered area and that it's done by C-suite executives. Um, what we've learned in the last dozen or so years is that half of all B2B buyers are now millennials. And millennials, as we know, are 37 years old and younger. So we really don't want to be targeting, targeting just the highest level executives with that kind of message. Another big important part of B2B is branded searches. We, we've learned that a lot of people are using mobile devices in the field to make these searches, to get these products done. We have a lot of people who are in the field. And we did an experiment with Caterpillar, the, the, you know, the manufacturing company that makes the tractors and things like that. And we found that they're using mobile devices, iPads and phones, and they're doing this on the fly in the field. And they're doing it for inspiration. They're watching videos on these devices in an effort to you know, be influenced and make a decision on what products they're gonna use. So the last point I would make about B2B is that video is becoming an extremely important part of it. Your average watch time on a B2B related video is more than double that of a normal video. So you definitely have people who are invested and they're very concerned about the content that you have there and they're watching it more than anybody else. So when it comes to B2B, I would get away from the thought that um, it's a separate thing because the people that are searching B2B still use Google like anybody else. They're just a slightly different type of person with a slightly different type of need. We don't need to think of it as a completely um, you know, a separate thing. It's definitely the same type of, of uh, dynamics, just with some minor tweaks. So again, uh, millennials are doing it a lot. It's happening a lot on mobile devices in the field, and video is becoming a more and more important part of that B2B search process for people. Absolutely. You heard it here first, folks. So video and content. Actually, probably not first, but uh, definitely important and something that you should uh, take to heart. I think everyone hears it, but sometimes it falls on deaf ears that it is absolutely time to invest in quality content and great video content. Really make sure you're explaining uh, what separates your brand or business apart from the competition. That's a, that's a key piece of it. So Josh, as we shift gears here for a second, another question that we get a lot at Fidelitas is, is there a correlation between paid ads and SEO rankings? Uh, sometimes clients think that you have to pay to play, so to speak. Uh, obviously, I'm sure you get this question all the time, but 
for for the sake of our listeners, uh, can you set the record straight? Yeah. So, you know, as a representative of Google, officially, I couldn't tell you that, um, yes, this is what you have to do and this will influence that for sure. What I can say is that in my experience in the industry, which is several years now, right on the front lines, PPC has evolved and our behavior as far as how we search the internet has evolved considerably. And with that, we're a lot more discerning. We're a lot more spoiled. We use our mobile devices to do these searches two thirds of the time, which is incredible how quick that happened. So for me, it's definitely a key portion to, to recognize that when you're doing paid ads, when you're doing PPC, you're showing up immediately on the top. You're showing people your brand right out of the gate. And yes, obviously you would love to do that without having to pay for it. What we do find is that um, you know, your SEO, as we mentioned before, your SEO profile takes some time to grow. So what I would say to you is when I see a client start with PPC, get that initial traffic while they're building up that SEO, Oftentimes at the end of that process, they're still profitable with their PPC. So although they're getting good organic traffic, they're still making money on the other side of it. And I have seen very specifically good PPC influence SEO. You've got an ad showing up on top of a page and then maybe two or three ads below that is your organic. And then maybe you're over here on Google Maps and you've got a click to call phone number and directions. And what you've done there is you've taken over this SERP, this search engine results page with, with a paid ad up here and your, you know, your maps presence there, maybe a local thing there. And so I think PPC has a lot of different value, to, a lot of different types of value to a company, but it's always important to remember that with PPC, you can track it. Uh, if it's not working, you're not going to be surprised by that. And that's part of the reason we set up Google Partners uh, to make sure that you've got people working alongside us that know how that system works and will prevent you from being mired in a, a bunch of wasted spend or something for something you didn't expect. Okay, great, Josh. And uh, regarding mobile and desktop, obviously everyone knows that everything's starting to trend more towards mobile, but what, what kind of trends are you seeing regarding mobile and desktop usage across Google channels? So very important point. Here's what I would say to that. We're, we're very much pushing the mobile design. When you design your, say you're designing a website today for the first time, you want to do that with the mobile user in mind, not with mobile compatibility or mobile friendliness. The old word was responsive design. I want my website to show up on a phone when someone searches on a phone. And that's great. But today what we've learned is what you really want to do is delineate those experiences. That desktop searcher may be reading your blogs. That desktop searcher may want to read about us and learn about your team, but you can rest assured the cell phone searcher is not doing that. They have more of an intent-driven search. They're on a phone. They're on the fly. They probably want to call you for a quote, figure out where you're at to buy a product, or, or get you on the phone for something else. So what you want to do there is recognize the difference in intent and the different type of dynamics that that consumer has when they're searching on a cell phone. And to that end, you need to build a cell uh, smartphone, a, a mobile page that's very intuitive and that means streamline that thing get rid of those big blog posts that people aren't going to scroll down their phones to read take that you know industry awards these are our, our you know our wonderful things we've done uh, we want to give people value and we want to make sure that when they're on a phone we recognize the top couple of things they're going to do with us and, and give them those options and clear out the fat just think of it as two different consumers right you, you, obviously you want to cater to people who want to explore your brand but you don't want to alienate those who are looking to buy something within an hour. And just recognize that today, you should really have a website catering to the desktop user and then an entirely different mobile experience that's a lot more driven to convert because they're not tooling around your site with their cell phone looking at each profile of your employees. I guarantee you, 
they're looking for something a lot more urgent and, and you want to give that to them and then have the desktop user check out the website and dig in deep that's great but um, make sure that we're, we're catering to that other user effectively because you're going to see a, a major increase in sales and, and traction the New York Times did a great study like this they set up one rack of newspapers over here with six papers and over here they had 30 newspapers on, on a rack but the rack with six papers sold several times more newspapers because when humans are faced with a decision with, with a whole slew of options, they shut down. And, and, and in this case, we're talking about me going to my cell phone looking for a pair of hiking boots, seeing your entire line of outdoor gear and being overwhelmed to the point where I'm looking for another website that's going to sell me hiking boots within a few minutes like I'm looking for. So just think of those as two different consumers with two different intents. Spot on, Josh. And you know why it's so important for a funeral parlor to show up on page one of Google? Why is that? Page two is a graveyard. That, 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 I like that. So that's a great the joke we use inside the office. That's almost exactly the same as the best place to hide a dead body is page two of Google search. So great, great point. Awesome. Yeah, sorry, Josh. I know you're new to the podcast, but we are big fans of dad jokes here, and uh, you're going to get your fair <laughs> share of them today. <laughs> so, Josh, uh, what are the most common mistakes that you see marketing leaders make when it comes to SEO and SEM? Honestly, uh, one of the big ones I see is, is people doing it on their own. I mean, if you're a big company that has uh, major growth or you anticipate major growth or you've done very well historically, to leave your digital marketing to anything but the best type of person or type of entity is a huge risk. So definitely important to recognize the value of working with somebody who knows the difference and knows exactly what they're doing there. And really, that's why we started Google Partners about just about four years ago now. We as nerdy, you know, analytical people aren't always the best at sharing this great stuff that we have to share. And our, our partners are. So they know how to use our platform and they know how to plug in people who may have a lot of success but not really know the digital landscape and help those people avoid hemorrhaging money on, on a term. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen it. A couple examples, I uh, had a roofing company on the East Coast spending $600 a month on search traffic for Dylan Roof, who was uh, you know, that awful kid that, uh, that did what he did in, in South Carolina, and then also Red Roof Inn, hundreds of dollars a month for traffic for that. So, so these are examples of things that any company could really find themselves dealing with. If you've got someone who says they know what they're doing or if you try to do it in-house or you've got a, a colleague that knows the Internet, oftentimes that's a death knell for a company who really needs to make sure that those digital resources are kept intact and handled with care. So, so definitely important to recognize the, the importance of those. Your website today is like your storefront. If it's not in good shape, if it's not tip-top, it's like having broken windows at an office building. All right, so Josh, also uh, retailers also have some restrictions with what they can promote. Obviously, some things are more black and white, like uh, nudity and drug paraphernalia, but one common gray area, and it affects a lot of our clients, is the firearms industry. And uh, as we all know, we can't run... Uh, paid ads for firearms on Google, but there are some secondary restrictions about running ads to sites that sell firearms, even if the ad is for something as simple as a crock pot or uh, fishing gear, for example. So in cases like that, what's the best thing that those types of retailers can do to separate themselves and to make sure they stay on the right side of Google's terms and conditions and don't find themselves blacklisted? You know, if you're in bed with Google, you're in, in, in bad shape. Um, a lifetime ban from Google is something you can't reverse. And typically, 
have a lot of market share, 80% or so, you, you really can't afford to be blacklisted by Google. So the reason that happens is essentially having three strikes. If we say you can't do something and you, whether it's you or someone who you hired to, to work with your digital resources, breaks those rules a few times, you can be gone from the internet in, in so many words. So here's how you avoid that. Yes, uh, we do have restrictions on firearms, drug paraphernalia, things like that. Uh, essentially, you can consider Google family safe. But the problem is a lot of people will say, okay, well, I, I have all these other products I want to sell, and I'm going to send people from my ad here to the page with those products. That works fine. The issue is when people try to bury the offending products or the offending, you know, you've got your guns and everything, you can't put that on another part of your website. You can't hide that in a, in a corner of your site thinking that this will be fine because that site's actually being crawled and our robots, if you will, are going to find that image. They're going to find that verbiage somewhere on that site and the entire site will be flagged for that reason. So the best thing I can say, and I've helped clients do this on a number of occasions, is to separate your offending products and, and, and create a different site for that that does not see the light of Google and keep your other stuff clean of that because we want to help you sell the accessories. We want to help you, help you sell the apparel and anything else that you might sell outside of that realm. We can't allow for those products to work in tandem with firearms and things that are prohibited. So even a small image of, of a gun on a, on a website with thousands of pages of clothing is going to cause an issue. Spot on and great advice, Josh. Regarding maybe a marketing leader that's new to a company and they're starting from scratch, they don't have a digital ad history of any kind. Maybe they haven't run social ads yet or search ads or anything. If someone's starting from scratch, how would you recommend someone to get started with digital? Or, or maybe they're taking over a train wreck and they need to start over from scratch. So if they're starting over or reassessing their digital ad spend, how would you recommend they get going? Well, think about it like this. In the old days, you started a business in 1980. You didn't run flyers and buy a billboard and paint your trucks and go door to door and, and get on TV. You did probably one or two things right off the bat, right? You want to verify that each of these channels you're going to get into is going to produce ROI. Same goes for digital. I wouldn't say that a new brand should be on YouTube and search and display and do some remarketing and get in Gmail and you know everything else, virtual reality. I would say probably going to want to start with one or two of these channels. Um, a lot of people can use social media. Certainly the outdoor industry does very well there. But think of it like this. If, if I'm on Google, I'm looking for something. If I'm on Facebook, for example, I'm hanging out with friends and family. So if you're a mortgage lender or an insurance guy and you hit me with an ad on Facebook, it's not going to resonate the same way an ad for a new tent or a new kayak or a, you know, a new hiking bag or something would. Um, you've got to think about what people are doing there. So if, if your company is one that, that sells something that could be intriguing to that, that person who's not necessarily looking for it, social media may have some impact for you. So for each person, it could be different, but I will say don't think that you have to do everything digital right out of the gate. We want to assess what's working, what's going to work for you, what fits best for your brand, your business, and move forward from there. Yes, eventually most of those things could have some value to you. Uh, early on, it's important to test and measure and do it in a, in a very calculated way. Yeah, Josh, we tell our clients a lot of the same things, especially when they're starting from scratch. We find, especially search ads, are one of the easiest ways. It's the lowest hanging fruit because instead of, like let's say, for example, you run a pizza joint or a series of pizza joints, instead of asking everyone, hey, do you like pizza? Are you hungry for pizza? Do you happen to be near one of our places that we're selling pizza? Instead, it's, it's hey, let, let's target these ads to people within certain zip codes so we already know they're close to us. We can already target it to people that are raising their hands and searching for a pizza place and saying, I want pizza and I want it now because let's be honest, no one's searching for pizza for next Friday night. They're searching in the moment. 
right? I mean, obviously there might be some foodies out there that do their due diligence ahead of time, but no, but uh, that's true. Yeah. And, you know, a, a pizza shop owner, he can actually run that ad from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., three miles outside of that pizza parlor, and shut it off after that. So you can bet anyone in that area who's looking for pizza at lunchtime, pretty good chance they're going to see that ad, click it, and go visit him. So that kind of targeting, that kind of relevance is what you get. When you're a new brand, searches is pretty much a given because everyone is going to be searching for you, no matter if you know how they search or if you don't. Search is probably going to be out of all those options for the new advertiser, the, the most important and the most viable for any business. Very good insight, Josh. Finally, what's next in search? Where are things going? What should we be working towards and paying attention to moving forward? A couple things. Uh, one, to be clear, search, as I mentioned before, YouTube has, has become a very powerful search engine and, and definitely want to consider when you're thinking of a search strategy for your brand, for your business, integrate video, find a way to, to be present on YouTube, whether that's you creating a diverse channel with consistent video production, or if it's you just putting your YouTube video ads that you've made onto different places where you know people are going to have interest there. Uh, so video has really pervaded uh, the search landscape pretty significantly lately. Another thing I would say is we're definitely getting more apt uh, as a culture to use speech to text, and that technology continues to evolve. So people are going to continue to speak into their phones. And with the Internet of Things evolving, they're going to speak into their Google Home device, to their Alexa devices, all those kinds of things. And, and as, you know, as search evolves, it's going to evolve to that type of thing where we won't even maybe need to type anything onto our phone. We're just sitting on the couch saying, oh, I want to buy one of those I just saw. And our, our you know, technology leads us to that. So definitely uh, the Internet of Things and, and having those kinds of things in the house. Another is VR. And this is so an early iteration of this would be your your 360 tours online. So I've got a, you know. Today, if you've got a photo gallery of your business, that's, you know, it's okay. In a couple of years, that's going to look archaic. And you're going to want to have that 360 view or that, that you know, virtual tour of our facility or, or check out our warehouse with all these great products. And as an advertiser, if you sell e-commerce, if you sell hiking gear, and I, as a consumer in, you know, Canada or something, can, can search your website and virtually tour your warehouse to see what you have, it, it has a lot of impact. And the same goes for video. If I, as a searcher, see you on video, what better place for you to be on a pulpit where you can explain why you're better and why you're different and why you as a brand are the choice for them. Video is very, very emotionally engaging for people. And they can oftentimes see what you're saying when you say we have integrity, we do it better than anybody, here's why. A lot of times that comes through uh, very, very specifically through video. So so definitely think of those kinds of things. In the home services industry, we're doing a lot more to integrate Google Maps with your searches. So look for more to happen there. Or, you know, For example, if you're a local plumber or something like that, there are a lot of things in the works right now in beta that are going to connect you with that service. Uh, you know, new carpets, I'm looking for someone to do my roof, all that kind of stuff through search. So search evolves very quickly. We also have some brand new targeting on search that was previously relegated to your, uh, your videos and stuff like that, your in-market um, and things like that. So, so search continues to evolve. I, I would definitely be uh, kind of educating yourself on where virtual reality and virtual experiences might fall in your brand and how that could help you take advantage of that technology. And definitely look at, at search patterns too, because as a culture, we've evolved the way we search. We used to put things like car insurance in the internet. Today we're saying, Best car insurance in San Diego, for example. So think of these long tail semantic searches are also becoming very, very common. 
So people are understanding that when I put a question into Google, it answers it. I don't have to put, I need car insurance in here. I'm saying, how can I fix my shower? And it might actually give me a result for a, a local plumber and things like that. Definitely a lot happening in search. Spot on. And uh, one little uh, infomercial question, Josh, as we uh, wrap up our time together. And I thank you for being so generous with it uh, while we're out here on the road in Salt Lake City together. And uh, tell me, what are the benefits of working with a Google partner like, say, Fidelitas Development? Fidelitas Development. Yeah, no, honestly, so Google Partners is, uh, has been incredibly successful. And uh, what I love about Google is it's not a company that looks at an opportunity to make money first. Google looks at an opportunity to make things better, to do things right. And then if there's a monetize, you know, if, there, if there's money to be had in, the, in that field, in that, in that industry, it might come down the road. But it will take all of it. <laughs> so in this case, we're talking about, you know, us having other companies help expand on what we do and us delegating that job of, of sharing the knowledge, if you will, to companies. Because again, we're nerds. We're, we, you know, we love being behind computers. We love math, all these kinds of things that your average person would scoff at. What we want to do is, is, is help you recognize that we've done some things to make sure that you have resources to get to us. And, and what we call that is Google Partners. So Fidelitas Development is actually one of our top Google partners in the southern uh, southwest region, if you will. And what that means is we're talking about a company that works directly with us. We're talking about a company that has to be held to the standards that we hold them to. As a Google partner, you have specific metrics that you've got to hit. You can't pay for that, which I think is the best part about it. I mean, you've got big companies that do shady business that would love to partner up with Google, but their money's no good. We're looking for integrity. For you as a client, that would mean you can get Google on the phone with you. You know, you can have Fidelitas and Google talk about your business plan for 2018. You can have a proposal from Google, uh, data, you know, vertical trends from Google, all that kind of stuff. And I encourage people who are working with our partners to take advantage of that relationship. You know, we've got Google betas happening all the time. If you're a new outdoor company and you want to be involved in a new beta that's, that half the world doesn't even know about, this is one great way to do that. So uh, I can't say enough about what a Google partner does for you as a business. It alleviates a lot of the things we talked about earlier. Oh, I'm, I'm spending money on irrelevant terms or, oh, I've got ads running at two in the morning and, and none of those people could possibly call me or come into my store. Things like that. And I, I've seen so many horror stories. I, I won't even get into it, but the fact is, if you're a company that wants to make sure that your digital resources are held in check and handled with care, you're going to work with a Google partner because we are, it's kind of like having an insurance policy on your AdWords account. You've got Google on the back end, watching everything and making sure everything's in good shape. Awesome. And thank you for the kind words, Josh. Much appreciated. And is, is it true that Google offers a money back guarantee if you work with a Google partner? Yeah, no, actually, uh, I've, I've heard some really interesting stories about what Google does and doesn't do. You'd be surprised at what some people say. But um, when it comes to advertising, you obviously don't have a guarantee on money. What we can guarantee is because it's a market-driven system and we know what influences bidding and influences converting and everything, we can give you the best possible chance to make a significant ROI on what you're doing. And I have not seen a company partner up with a Google partner, do things the right way, promote their business online, and fail. Because when it's done by the right people with the right intentions in mind, and I'm talking about integrity here, you're going to succeed. That's what it is. People are looking for your products. If you show them that you are a good company that does good work, we want to show that result. Google's all about user experience. If you're providing that experience, it's positive. We're not going to go with the company with the biggest pockets. We're going to go with the best experience for our users. This is why Google.com is a white page with a search bar in the middle. If you don't think we could make a business successful overnight by sticking an ad on there, 
obviously are wrong. There's a lot, there's a lot of money out there that Google's not interested in, in taking because we're user first. There's a reason why Google is now a verb. Uh, we didn't make that happen. It's just, you know, it's, it, it's how it is. So definitely a lot of value to, uh, you know, to working with people who have integrity and who are aligned with our company. Josh, you bring up an interesting point. I actually saw rumors floating around Twitter last week that the Google homepage might start to be going the way of the Yahoo homepage of the early 2000s, that there's going to be news and sports and weather content auto-generated on the homepage. Is there, is there any truth to that, or can you comment on that? Honestly, that's uh, probably outside of my department. I, I personally have not heard. I, I do follow all of our Twitter handles. I do a lot of internal research and things. I haven't heard anything like that myself. I think that, objectively speaking, Yahoo's methodology could be considered a cautionary tale in that capacity. So I think that um, I think that Google's very good at what we do right now. And I think that if there's anything that could compromise that by modifying something that's working, by modifying an experience that's considered positive right now, I would consider that like a, a food place taking your favorite item off the menu. Uh, you just don't want to ruin what's working. And to me, I go elsewhere for those types of lifestyle websites, if, if you want to call it that. Google.com is not a website, in my opinion. It's a medium. It's a conduit for me to get everything I need. It's kind of like turning on a TV or starting up a car. It's not a destination website. So if that's happening, I'm sure the people doing that are much, much brighter than I am. But I would say that as a user, I don't want my Google.com being anything but let me search and see where I end up. Um, I can handle the rest of that, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I mean, heck, I mean, even like with, with we're sitting here with our smartphones, I won't tell our listeners what kind of phone you have, but uh, they, uh, <laughs> but they both happen to show Apple News, which is kind of crazy. And uh, we can get our content anywhere on, on Earth. I think that's part of what makes Google so great is it's so simple to go search for a website or search for an image or search for a recipe or a solution or a product or whatever it is that you're after. I think there's a key to that simplicity. I mean, if you even want to look on the social side, that's part of why Facebook got a leg up on MySpace back in the day when both of them were fairly popular was everyone got tired of the way over customized MySpace pages with way too much on it. And uh, Facebook was clean and simple and uniform and it didn't hurt your eyes to look at it. And that said a lot. Of course, it's funny. This was before my time running Fidelitas, but I would have loved to have run Fidelitas back in the era of MySpace just because you could look at any designer's personal MySpace page and know exactly how good or poor of a designer they were. Well, and, and for me, MySpace has sort of become a meme now, but it's, it's, it's really what we're talking about with the newspapers earlier, too. People want simplicity. People, more is not always better. The same thing's happening in the video game industry. Graphics have gotten to the point where it looks real, but yet games like Mario Brothers and, and Zelda with cartoony characters are still outperforming a ton of those games because people don't always want more and, and you know flashier they're, they're looking for an experience that's good for them and so i can decide on, on what i want to do i want google to give me these options and not force me into anything and so far this company's been very good about not doing that to people that's great and uh, josh one last question here and we'll, we'll end our time together today but one thing we try to get for all of our listeners is one key takeaway so if, if you had to leave our listeners with one thing this is one key takeaway that marketing leaders can take and act upon from this interview, what would you have that be? So many things to say. I would say for me, there is a misconception that AdWords doesn't work. And I'll give you an example. There's a very large company called eBay that most of us are very familiar with that made a very public claim years ago that AdWords doesn't work for them and they're abandoning the platform. So some of the best marketers in the world 
Larry Kim, among them of WordStream and, and others, made comments that discounted that completely. What are you talking about? Google AdWords doesn't work. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to do it. Here's what was happening. eBay was spending a lot of money on AdWords, and they weren't hiring or, or using the best people to do that. So now you can find online screenshots of eBay ads for babies, for children. Buy children on eBay, ebay.com. Uh, babies, free babies, you know, babies in season, things like that. If your marketing plan is such that you have ads for children and, and human beings uh, being sold, of course it's not working. It is not AdWords that's not working there. It's your marketing team. It's the people you've hired to do that. The fact is it's, it's a market-driven platform, and I've helped all kinds of companies remove wasted spend and get AdWords to work. So main takeaway is understand that Google's not a company that goes after your money first. Look at the history of the company. Nine years in the red before advertising even made money. Definitely look objectively at what you're about to do and work with the right people. Google Partners came up for a reason. It's been around four years and thriving for a reason. Um, work with the right people and get the most you can out of our platform because a lot of companies do, and it's all about doing it the right way. That's great advice, Josh, and a really insightful story about eBay, too. It's, it's, it's funny how that goes. And uh, lesson learned, boys and girls, don't outsource your work overseas if you can help it. That goes for manufacturing and for advertising for a lot of things. So, Josh, thanks so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here on the Lionshare Marketing Podcast. Uh, looking forward to our uh, talk tomorrow, which will be in the past by the time our listeners hear this. But we're uh, co-presenting here at Outdoor University about best use of AdWords. Uh, I believe Fidelitas is going to make a copy of our presentation available on demand afterwards, so stay tuned for that. We'll uh, post a link in the show notes when that's available. In the meantime, Josh, if people want to connect with you or follow you, uh, what's the best way to do that? Uh, I can be found on Twitter at, at Josh Weum, and I typically honestly go through LinkedIn, so I'm the only Josh Weum, W-E-U-M, in the country. So it's, it's, I've been doing the Google travel thing for long enough where you can find videos and stuff on me. If, if anyone wants to connect, I'm happy to do that. And I can't say enough about Fidelitas and the guys that are here. Uh, looking forward to tomorrow's presentation. And anyone who's not going to be there in person, I encourage you to ask for that virtually, digitally, because we will have it available. And thank you, Tyler, for, for having me today. Thank you, Josh. And so in short, if you want to find Josh, just Google him. All right. Thanks again. And until next time, this has been another episode of the Lion Share Marketing Podcast. And we'd just like to say thanks again to Josh Weeham for being our guest on the Lionshare Marketing Podcast. If you want to track down those notes or see a couple samples of those bumper ads we mentioned earlier, head on over to lionssharepodcast.com slash 15. That's lionssharepodcast.com slash 15. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. And if you think dad jokes and or dad bods are hilarious and charming, please take a second and leave us an honest review. And I mean of the podcast, not a review of our dad bods, mostly just because we want five stars and not one stars. And hey, also for yourself, Kyle. Oh, well, okay. Let's... Well, feel free to review our dad bods. <laughs> and also keep a lookout for episode 16, which will be dropping soon. But for now, my dear marketing leader friends, until next time, cheers. You've been listening to the Lion Share Podcast, brought to you by Fidelitas Development your marketing partner for better brand loyalty.